I made some notes on the question of uh, poetry and dharma. Sure. Whoops. Where are they? Um, and, and specifically my own take on it. So I'm going to just speak for a minute here. You know, uh, from the beginning, there's always uh, poetry in the religious world. Because there's teachings, and you're trying to remember them. And poetry is the most memorable kind of language. You remember things when you hear them in poems. So poetry is, goes along with all religious teaching. Poetry is the most in, in, intense form of language. So it holds the most intense thoughts that human beings can have. Poetry is a kind of utterance, like of the heart to the heart. So you always have poetry in religious life. But in Buddhism in particular, I think, there's another angle to this because Buddhism has always had, uh, and I think that we in the West really emphasize this, meditation, right? Silent meditation and different forms of meditation, which uh, Buddhism inherited from pre-Buddhist India. And, and meditation gives you, naturally, a kind of deep contemplative perspective on the mind. And, and you know, uh, Ben has uh, been translating all these great works by Vasubandhu, which is all about what is the mind and how does the mind condition who we are and what we are and what the world is. So in Buddhism, uh, unlike in the West, mind is not the opposite of matter. Mind is matter. Matter is mind. And there are all kinds of minds. Everything has mind, you know. A rock is mind. In Zen, we understand that. And, and in Vasubandhu, we'd, we'd see it that way too, I think. And, and then there's the human mind. And in the case of the human mind, it's a very special kind of a mind because it's a mind that's very deeply conditioned by language. We're the language animals, for better and worse. And, and this is something that uh, is very much emphasized in Zen. Zen. Zen has a whole discourse about language, as you know. It's a really important topic in Zen. I mean, it's, you know, it's very specific to Zen. I mean, mo most religions don't have a discourse about what is language and how does language work, but Zen does. And my favorite source for this is, uh, among many, is Dogen's fascicle Gabyo, painting of a rice cake, in which he says, among many other things, that the whole world is language. Now, uh, you know, there's a whole history of Buddhist poetry in China and Japan. In fact, I would say there is no tradition of poetry in China and Japan outside of Chan influence. It's all influenced by by Chan, by Buddhism. And in the West, maybe it's an accident historically, but a very important and significant accident that so many of the important poets and other cultural figures in the 20th century were influenced by Buddhism a lot. Some of them practiced seriously, some of them didn't. 
but many, many artists were influenced by Buddhist ideas, Buddhist per perspectives, and it really conditioned what they were doing. And I think the reason for that is that people were, were feeling like they'd come to the end of the cultural conversation in the West and they were looking for a way out of that and somehow the Buddhism provided a whole like a, an escape route and, and certainly I was reading all these all these authors influenced by them um, and uh, that was really important for me and my both my practice and my and my writing my own poetry I would say is an exploration of language how language binds us and mixes us up and how we can be free within language and within that freedom touch one another and all my writing uh, is an experiment a failed experiment to do uh, what I cannot do probably can't be done but isn't practice like that too we keep on trying to awaken, but we're always a little bit not yet awakened. And that to me is what makes it so interesting and so worthwhile. Beings are numberless. I vow to save all of them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end all of them. Poems are absolutely impossible to write. I vow to write them all. So that's my kind of feeling about what I'm trying to do in poetry. It's kind of very quixotic and sometimes hard to keep it up, but I can't stop, I guess. So I read just a page or two from this one. There was a clattering as. This is a painting by Kaz Tanahashi on the, on the cover of it. It's a great painting for the title, right? There was a clattering as. It's actually a book, of, it's a, a book about the pandemic, not the pandemic, but about pandemics as a kind of metaphor for the world we live in. So I'm going to read a few pages. It's, and I should say it's a collage work. It's got prose and poetry, and it's one sustained work over the whole book. Uh, but collage together. It has lots and lots of quotations in it, lots of stuff that I steal from other books and sometimes rewrite or sometimes don't. All sorts of material. In fact, there's a, at the back there's a whole uh, uh, set of you know, pages of where the sources are, where they come from. I think though that in the part that I'm going to read you there's no quotation. There had been storms every night but last night's was strongest. A tremendous storm, thunder and bright lightning, many flashes close in, lighting up the sky as if day. Torrential rain, pounding the cocoa palms, lasting an hour, maybe two, three to five a.m., impossible to sleep through. Today the path to the house is a stream bed, ants swarming the rocks and up and down trees to stay dry. Two nights ago, a blood-curdling cry in the jungle crossed between a dog and a cat, a fishing boat very close in, surrounded by pelicans and frigate birds, dive-bombing the boat and fighting over fish, their shark-bite wings, forked tails and long, straight, primitive beaks, as in Olson's Mayan letters, in the pleading 
Another voice speaks, not yours. Hear the sounds, see the sights, the sky with its endless terraces, the scream of an ancient call that floats or bobs on the waters in the hush I don't know, nor can see. Language is such a disappointment. Clunky words that mean so little. How can an author have confidence? How can a king rule? A crown not distribute its lethality. Bracing perceptions blow you back. A terror freezes fluid, bone, solid. It isn't even you anymore. White hot for the world to pull its handle and you go down, riding those waves of sound in a pinch anyway. And who are you pinching? I'm pinching you, pinching me. It's the only way I know I'm alive. And if you pinch, are you still alive? Is knowing a kind of death, an absence papered over with thought, love must burn just the way it did when I didn't know who you were or what you were or what I was. Love me then like a rake loves gravel, a tree loves a snake, an apple loves loins at break of day. And why, after all, did Augustine <clears throat> so despise sexuality? Was it the taste of his earlier experience, his self-loathing, which he identified with his knowing God's judgment in him and therefore God's awesome presence? Or was it that life itself, whose energies sex metaphorizes, is toxic and must be endured and entranced and sublimated as painful entry into the kingdom of the real? God made love to be perfect. What went wrong? God has pitched his mansion in the place of excrement. A slight discrepancy, or, or maybe not. And sex is all perversion and must be so. And yet, Augustine was overcome by his own disgust. Sex was a challenge to his mind he couldn't conceptualize except as spiritual catastrophe. The virgin mother must be pure. Monica was pure. Faith par excellence after the painful sin of having given birth to God, or in Monica's case, himself. A boy loves his mother. Tearing his clothes and shaving his head, the despairing Job falls to the ground and says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. So that's just a little bit from, there was a clattering. And then there's this one that these books came out around the same time. I was a little bit going crazy during the pandemic because all of a sudden I realized all my events were canceled. I said, aha, I can write many books. So I, I just sat down and I started to write. This book here is a, is a, it's a beautiful painting. Uh, I, I wrote this book called Men in Suits and discovered that there's an artist in Maine who my brother happened to know. 
who lives in Maine, who was doing a series of paintings called Men in Suits. So this is one of her paintings, Men in Suits, and she let me use it for the cover. And this book is also an extended uh, work of you know, 150 pages or so, <clears throat> and uh, it also mixes prose and poetry. Um, and uh, but this is a terrible. Uh, this this book is a, a kind of rant. It's just a sustained rant because I'm so mad about violence. It just it just bothers me, you know. It really bothers me, and I've been kind of thinking about it for a long, long time. And and at this point, uh, when I sat down to write this, uh, I was thinking about it a lot, and it was really bothering me. And I was especially thinking about violence in all its forms, but the violence of of governments and economic systems, but most especially the violence of men against women, which really, really bothers me. So. Uh, I'm just going to read a few pages from this because uh, most of it is uh, too painful. <clears throat> open, closed, open, open, closed, open, white hair, dark eyebrows, dark eyebrows, dark hair, open, closed, open. At the end of Jewish history and world history ground down to a powder, open, closed, closed, taking the picture of now, camera, Clicks, shutter opens, shuts, a moment struck, a moment opened, closed, open, makes a record, a remembrance, commemoration. Which life? What life? I channel the channel or charnel or open the closed, close the opened as womb, life, forced remembrance as time's moment opened, closed. I need to open up a little bit so I can help you. I can understand if it's too much for you. I don't know now. And I can't do it for you unless you are willing to do it for yourself. But there is something more. You are standing on the doorstep of your house shouting at me about Christina how much you hate her, how terrible she is, how much you are insisting that I also hate her in the same way. But she is pregnant with another man's child. And my own mother, whose son has died, has made me her son. I'm her son. Her love's divided. I say this as a woman. I want them to recognize my dignity as a woman. All women are not your mother. It doesn't matter about the car, the money, and you are standing at the doorstep of my house in which you have been many times at my table, at my hearth, you are yelling. And I am feeling attacked. I have an illness in my stomach. A colleague of mine has died from this. When you want something from someone, you come alive. You look at me, sometimes aggressive, sometimes the little boy. I know I have to repair myself so you can be repaired. I know I have to heal myself so you can be healed. I am so touched when we come to that place, the rapist.
says, I am hearing you and I feel trapped by my love. I don't see an exit. And this is what I hate in men. The physical violence, the domination, the economic oppression. When you say, I, you're exposed. But I'm not used to saying I. I am not trained to say I. I feel a lot of love for my kids, but also I love my boundaries. Close to what you feel. Take that time if you need it. I am now just aware of this. I am afraid I am too much. Too much for myself. Too much for any man. Too much for my children. She doesn't like it sometimes when I am too close to myself. I carapace myself. Still, tears come. It's pathos. I don't like it. I hate my tears, that they come indiscriminately, indecipherably, that I do not choose them, do not decide that they come. Tears will no longer be necessary. So that's a little bit from uh, Men in Suits. There's a lot of, st- <laughs> there's actually a lot of stuff in there from uh, uh, Mark, uh, not Marx, uh, the opposite of Marx, uh, uh, The Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith. <laughs> there's, because I got obsessed with capitalism and its whole way of crunching people's lives. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a real rant, this book. Don't read it unless you're up for it. <laughs> but I wanted to read more cheerful, uh, newer work that I've been, I've been uh, going through uh, lots of uh, shorter poems that I've been writing during this same period. And I think I have enough of them to put together a collection. I think it'll be a kind of a fun collection. And there's a whole section called Poems, and they're all poems without titles. And they're all called Poem. So here's one. Smoked salmon, capers, some dill pickles on the side, some kugel possibly, and pickled herring, then a pan of fries and and vinegar to to go with a bottle of Lagunitis IPA in the morning French toast, or freedom toast when the Republicans were mad at France, they called French fries freedom fries, wise to the power of names, or pancakes, waffles, scones, muffins, lovely black cod, fresh lovely tuna, slightly steered, still seared, steel gray and pinkly raw inside, lovely Alaska, fresh caught king salmon melting in your mouth and halibut trout, white meat, slightly aromatic and more delicious French toast as previously mentioned despite the Republicans. It's hard to get away from French toast made with real challah and some avocado in my salad, please, studded with kohlrabi with marinated artichoke hearts, some peas in it, please, that's peas, please, 
if it's the season for peas, there's a reason for peas, but it's definitely the season for tomatoes, at long last tomatoes, succulently, all kinds, yellow, red, grape tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes, pear tomatoes, all kinds of tomatoes, so sweet, so alive, so sun-soaked. Oh, tomatoes, I don't even know, there are many names, too lazy to look them up, I don't do research. This is research. How to be humanly alive without them to be human is to eat a tomato, then die on the spot with taste of tomato, filling, frightened mind pushing fear of nothing to the back of mind with taste of tomato tragic in front on your lips dolmas hummus simus shawarma old vine zinfandel pinot noir merlot and sean's Pleiades and walnut bread and chocolate and mousse and rice pudding, mangoes, papayas, tacos, tamales, tortillas, chimichangas, chilerianos, salsa please, rice pilaf, bear claws, donuts, New York cheesecake, and, and bagels, bialis, thick sliced red onion, lox, cream cheese, local and Chinese food. Let me count the ways. Italian, Indian, Vietnamese, Thai, French. Let's go. Coffee, espresso, that is with creamy steamed milk. French roast, of course. Ah, the French again in matters of food. There's no escape. Beans, not ground. Beans, not ground. I got a machine. And yogurt, made by hand at home. And fenugreek and turmeric and garam masal. Fresh rosemary and garlic, olive oil. Not walnut. No, no, not walnut. For my fingerlings, roasted on grilled domas and calamaras and bananas and peanuts. Virginia, of course. Oh, my peanuts, how you sustain my thoughts every day in every way, evoking Jimmy Carter, who wore a sweater in and hosted, hoisted solar panels on White House roof believing global warming to be true. Oh, how wrong he was to speak sober truth to Americans. It seems not to register. And grapes, so many kinds, red, green, fat, tiny, strawberries, pears, peaches. How many sorts of lettuces, red and green leaf, romaine, butter, and now little gems, frisee, pandi, zakara, raisins, steel-cut oats, wild rice, and brown and white kimchi for my bibimbap, and pesto, and seaweed salad, egg salad, tuna salad, salmon salad, niçoise, potato. Go out. Look up at Moonstar's big black, big black sky, where in all dark, shiny worlds, nobody speaks and there's nothing to eat. Poem. Uh, I'm looking at the time. We're okay. A few minutes here. Poem. The Bird. This one uh, has a title. The Bird. Thought to write in all seriousness finally for once about something. So now, about the bird comes to mind in own voice writing it that flew into house yesterday. Wren, it was small brown fluttering bird frightened by a window, not knowing where it was or how or why, appearing in disturbing circumstances, tipsing off then down to bump on windowsill then bop up, not finding a way out through glass toward light and familiar air. What's glass to a wren? In this, There's a moral lesson, certainly, 
or an epiphany, something to be suddenly seen directly, metaphorically in the bird's sincere and desperate efforts, or maybe in the very sound of words used to elegantly or not so elegantly describe sense of bird now trapped inside, not knowing it's inside or how it got inside, trying, tipsing, fluttering against glass to escape with no possible sensible plan, but hurling body back by trial and error mechanically or desperately or hopefully awaiting some result? Or not even having a conception of result or change of state, but anyway foolishly, endearingly, whacking in, thrusting body this way and that inside a world means something endearing or anyhow useful or of interest about human predicament? For all readers of poems are human, deserve some mirror-like reflection of their condition to make the reading of poem worthwhile, but this is of no concern to this or any other wren. So we proceed from either end to slowly stalk wren, directing said wren toward open door, which wren fails to notice, flying past outstretched arms to further recesses of house on floor near fireplace or further windowsill, fluttering then crouched panting in corner not far from another open door through which it flies to freedom, then a happy ending for Wren, end poem, if poem were to end here without an element of summing up, a message, a moral, or anyway at least a satisfactory aesthetic thrum or murmur. But no, the poem drones on past the Wren's exit, groping for some point, some raison d'etre without sensible plan, but wagging of tongue on teeth till tongue's sheer focusless force abate and poem slides to its own dear ceaseless conclusion. And the last thing I'll read is The Natural History of Ghosts. Hamlet's ghost, or was that Hamlet's father's ghost? Or, or when it comes to ghosts, how much does it signify which or whose ghost we are talking about? Oh, how my heart aches, she says to me. People are abstruse or opaque. After all is said or done, it's hard to tell if there's anyone or only one. So you know you're not just some ghost. It is clear uh, sorry, is it clear, is it solid that days dawned that I'm here under dawn's yellow blush flush on yonder hilltop, that skin of the sea below where swimmers swim, breaking it in dawn's early light where ghosts so proudly hail in the light when it is not night so that they can be seen, they are so close then just as futility is close to utility. Too close for comfort. And who can be comfortable being a ghost or being with a ghost save the extremely aged who see ghosts constantly who once they knew as fleshly friends who are themselves as good as ghosts they have as they say about them one foot in the ghost haunted place the grave but their minds are quiet if not disturbed by many troubled thoughts of a ghost-filled past. These are handwritten ghost words, sky words readers make in minds alive, though all are worn with utility 
and futility and no longer signify as they once did or if they do must unravel the plot until we already know who the killer is if not precisely when the deed is done a day's worthwhile if at its end one says this was a day and if not then what landscape has features that can be pointed to or explained somehow like everything else but that won't make it live ghosts don't live forever either according to the rules for ghosts they only last as long as the jobs they're sent to perform ghosts have many tasks angels just a single task angels have wings ghosts do not although both fly after a fashion but neither angels nor ghosts have feet to walk on dirt according to the last judgment instructions the cross divides heaven from hell rather neatly just as ghosts and angels are perfectly distinct from one another the damned are damned and the dead may rest in eternal peace possibly but we the living persist with our many problems our dissatisfactions increasingly convincing to our ghosts so that was fun thank you everybody for listening it's great to be here with john and andrea and all my friends from minnesota zen center and everybody else oh bob you came i bob bob Berman came how about that that's wonderful so we're done, right? Do you want to say something, Ted? And we'll say goodbye. And here, here it's time for dinner. Hey, yeah, we'd like to say something. Let's yeah. get situated in a place where folks can see me. Uh, it's pretty close. Okay, move this way just a bit. Here we go.